podcast. Unlocking Potential is a project based at Maynooth University, Ireland, and is kindly supported by the Public Service Innovation Fund. Studies show that people with convictions are largely drawn from the same groups who are underrepresented in higher education. The aim of Unlocking Potential is to increase access for people with convictions, including prisoners and former prisoners. Over six episodes, we'll hear from a variety of voices who will share their experiences and perspectives on the role of universities and colleges in supporting fair access and creating safer communities. We will address questions like, why is fair access for people with convictions important? How can we make this happen? And who needs to be involved? Hello, I'm Joe Garrahy, and thanks for joining us on this episode of the Unlocking Potential podcast. This episode and podcast seeks to maintain students at the heart of the project. So today, we wish to explore the experience of ex accessing and studying at higher education for those with previous convictions. We'll discuss the barriers faced by prospective students and ways in which we can address these uh, always with a view to providing fair admissions policies and supports for all students. Today, we are again focusing on getting in, getting on and achieving your goals. I'm delighted to be joined by our guest, Paula Carney, who will share her education journey with us. Paula, who has studied courses in women's studies, addiction studies, leadership and development, community education and equality studies, and is currently completing a Bachelor of Arts in community and youth work. Uh, welcome and thanks for being with us, Paula. Thank you, Joe. So if we could uh, start with the initial interest and what got you uh, interested in returning to education or exploring higher education? Um, I would have been in a bit of trouble with drugs in the past and through that ended up in a lot of charges for shoplifting and petty crimes, you know, but I never thought I had any interest in education. Like even as, like I left school really young, so I never thought I, I was interested in education, but I went to the SAIL project for support with my addiction. And I ended up just, they start doing little courses now and I started to love to learn stuff. I loved learning new stuff, you know, like, especially around social issues, anything like that sort of um, caught me, you know, there was something about understanding social issues that really drew me in. And I think being there and seeing how they worked with people and all, and realising that when people get support, the difference that can make in their life, you know, when there's somebody there genuinely there for them and there's not an agenda behind it. It gave me that sort of bit of hope that I could actually go back to school, go back, do a few courses at first. And now, I'll be honest with you, at that time, I was doing a couple of little courses. Addiction studies was one that I really wanted to do to get an understanding of where my addiction comes from. I kind of got an understanding of it, but to get an understanding of the policy side of it, the things that sort of cause addictions within communities that are disadvantaged. So I kind of really got an interest in that. And that's why I've done the addiction studies. I've done the women's studies in that. It's a women's project and that was always part of it, that you do a lot of stuff on women. There was one woman, Kathleen O'Neill, who would have been one of the ones that started it. And really strong feminist, very unapologetic feminist. And I loved that. So the women's studies, like as much as 
the addiction studies had that extra little bit because it was around the addiction. But the women's studies sort of gave me that view of you know, the gender inequality, especially with, within addiction, there's a huge gender inequality. Men are treated completely different than women are. And then if the woman is a mother, there's an extra layer of stigma on that. So I just, I like just doing, from doing them little things, it really sparked an interest in learning. But like, as I said, I'd left school really early. So I never thought I'd actually eventually go on to do a degree. That was nowhere in me bleeding right, sorry for the language, in me radar whatsoever. Do you know, but as I said, my past had a lot to do with it, trying to understand myself and like the community I grew up in, I'd say of a group of 10 friends, at least five or six of them would end up in drugs. So I was trying to understand why that happens within these communities. And so the intergenerational poverty all plays into it, but it was, I think doing the addiction studies gave me that, put that lens on it for me. So then with Community Action Network, I'd went and done the leadership and development course. And then I, from that, I went on to do a certificate with Minutes on community education and equality studies, which gave me even a deeper sort of understanding of it. So I think if you look at the courses I have done, they're all very social. Do you know, there's all a social element of it. And when I say social, I mean social within the framework of, oh, sorry, the language, framework of equality and, you know, an understanding of issues within like really disadvantaged communities. So it gave me an understanding of myself, but it also, help me understand why things are the way to do and the barriers that are there for people in their life, regardless of education, you know, employment, anything like, even just moving on in your life. Just them courses sort of gave me that understanding, but as I says, it just sort of drew me in and I loved it. I loved learning about it like that. It's really interesting that you say that um, because, you know, uh, as a kind of criminologist, sociologist myself, I think that's one of the key things that uh, draws the personal to the kind of social. So yeah. it's interesting that you say at the beginning, it was more about trying to understand what was happening for you at the time. Yeah. And then you kind of ex uh, drew that out to the wider context. So um, when you were attracted to these little courses, were you, looking any way beyond them or were you just saying I'll just do this to try and get a bit of understanding of what's happening now or were you thinking this might be a road to further education? At first as I said it was just about myself and trying to get a bit of stability in my own life and try and get an understanding of my own life but then I sort of started doing a bit of volunteering and services and all and I, I'm a people person I love that type of work but there's also the part that without the qualifications, it's very hard to get full-time work in that thing. But, and I knew it was something that I really, really wanted to do. So then I started to look forward that, yeah, maybe I could do this. But it was still fucking terrifying nonetheless. I'm sorry I keep coursing jobs. It's grand. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's still terrifying, as I was saying. So, yeah. Terrifying is, is, is a good word for it because... I, you know, you did mention that you left school at 13 and then you returned uh, a number of years later. Um, 
I didn't that? say the age I was supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's up to you. <laughs> but you know, it's it's a it's many years and a, and a lot yeah. of uh, a lot of water under the bridge. So how did you uh, kind of overcome that initial fear, or you know, you know, how did you push yourself to kind of go through it, even the first course and, and, and the courses after that? The first ones, I got a lot of support in the women's studies and I got a lot of support from the staff and sale. But then I could see, I was starting to get a bit more confident in myself. Do you know when you're writing pieces and all, like you were starting to get a little bit better every time and a little bit better. And then like, when I look back, I realised, I think when I was back in school, it was, it's not like now, like young people now, a lot of them, do you, do you want to achieve well in school? Mm-hmm. But back when I was in school, even if you were the most intelligent person in, in the class, you kind of pretended you weren't for some reason. I don't know what that was about. Do you know, I don't know whether it was that, um, if you look at the desk skills and, and all that, it's, there doesn't seem to be enough of a push into, you know, like letting young people know what how great they are or what they can achieve and does that sort of they don't see themselves in them schools you know the way you go into into that school it's full of our middle class teachers and so on and the young people don't see themselves in the school but whereas I'd went to a project where I could see myself in that project and that helped me sort of relax with the with the learning like and enjoy the learning and I think it's a whole different ball game when you go back as a mature student because when you're a teenager going to school you're being forced to go to school mm. so whereas and, and as a child but whereas if you go back as a mature student you've made a conscious decision to do it yourself so it's you're, you're not doing it to please anyone else it's all for you and regardless of whether you whether you walk out with a first class honours or just barely pass it it's to know you've done it yourself and it's something that you've done for yourself and nobody else I think that had a huge thing to do with it, but as I says, it didn't make it any less scary going back. I think that's a really, uh, it's a really good insight because, you know, obviously we're talking about barriers for people, convictions and so on, but we always talk about in the project or in the other podcasts about how this is part of a bigger picture, of course, mm-hmm. and there's, there's overlaps, but bringing it right back to your, to many people's childhood, as you said, that, you know, the social environment that we find ourselves in, you know, even if you are interested in school or you're, um, you know, want to do well, there's, you know, before you ever get to convictions and so on, there's pressure to kind of not demonstrate or perform yeah. uh, that kind of as well as you'd like, because, you know, it's not, it's either there's, there's uh, horizon issues in terms of not seeing yourself in the teachers or not seeing yourself as successful or, you know, your, your peer group not really uh, or, or parents or teachers not rewarding or as you yeah. say I think it's an Irish problem in, in, in legacy problem of you know not encouraging people as yeah. much as we could and should so you know before we ever get to adulthood these are kind of issues that we face along the way um, which as you said I think it's really interesting the balance or the kind of tension between the fear of going back but then the confidence that you gain by going back and it kind of builds yeah. and builds to kind of one, I don't think that they ever resolve themselves, but as you said, you're just trying to kind of build and build towards 
the next thing. And if I could ask in a, in a kind of practical sense, right? So you, you kind of, and I think it's a really good point, as you said, that you started with little courses, because again, uh, the idea of going to do a degree first off the bat, maybe if someone has done their leave insert and so on, is really uh, intimidating. But as you said, I think the little courses is the way to kind of just feel your way into things yeah. and kind of build. But when you were thinking about applying for a course or the first course or the courses as you went, did you have, how did you manage the application process? You know, where to apply, you know, filling out the forms, all those kind of things. Was that easy to navigate or how did you get on with that? For the, the courses before the degree, I didn't really, I, other than the leadership and development and the community education and quality studies, I didn't really have to interview or anything for them once. They were, I was in the sale project and they were doing these courses and I jumped on board and done these courses. But I was just saying like there's stepping stones to building up your confidence little by little to do, you know, to finally go back. But I think as well, when you have people behind you that are pushing it and see potential in you. And as I was saying, but school is different when doesn't, when people aren't, aren't pulling that potential and you know, encouraging it and nourishing it. So I think when you have people who are supporting you and who see potential in you and you start to believe in yourself a little bit better, do you know when you have mm -hmm. that? I was lucky enough to have that. Not everyone does so, you know, and I do recognise that. But when it came to actually applying for my degree, I don't know many times I nearly backed out of that. The year before I had got accepted into Blanche IT, but I decided against going, which I was glad I did because I fit in really well in my notes. And I don't think I would have there. I don't know why. There's just something about, there was a pull about minute that I wanted. But I was still though putting in the application forms now, like was really nerve wracking. And especially when I realized that if I want to do placement, I have to do guard event. And that has been a huge, like I mean, one of the biggest, biggest obstacles for me. Because even though I know I've no crimes with violence or anything of the sort, I still had a fear of being judged, being judged for being an ex addict, for being a being a having criminal conviction, not being a criminal, having criminal convictions, and also being a mature student coming back at my age after being out of school for twenty years nearly. So all them things, I they're all barriers that I had and. I, they made me extremely nervous about applying even, you know, because even though I'd been told, like my brother had done the done the same course and he'd been pushing me as well, saying, no, no, go and do it, you'd be grand. But even though he was reassuring me, he hadn't got them barriers going in that I had. So as much as, much as he was saying the experience he had, I was counteracting with, well, you haven't got this, this, this behind you. I do. They're going to hold me back. And there is also was that fear of, do I go and do a degree? And then at the end of it, I've no opportunities because mm. of my past. But I, but then it was just sort of seeing that a lot, like especially in the social care field, I think having that lived experience, it's not actually a barrier when, once you get through, Apply for, apply for your degree and all that and all. you start to realise that you having that lived experience is actually a bonus instead of, you know 
don't just define it as something you should be ashamed of, something that you should, you know, you keep yourself that don't ever let anyone know disability because it will go against you. No, you have that lived experience. You can have genuine empathy for people. Like, don't get me wrong, just people walk in social care all the time who don't have the lived experience. Our amazing workers have great empathy, but there's something about having that that real connection with people because you truly truly understand that it's not just you're imagining walking in that shoes you've actually walked in i think that can be a huge bonus for you you know and especially doing courses like community or you work or any of the social care social science courses it can be a great because you have a different you have a different lens going in and you have a different perspective on the issues because you've lived them and you've experienced them issues I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, you know, even going back to what you mentioned earlier on about uh, kids in school, you know, we can identify with somebody who we know has been through what we're going through. And, you know, um, it's not one or, but, you know, there's advantages. Um, So having that lived experience can be absolutely invaluable for you, for your kind of education and then your, you know, communication and the work you want to do after. And I think that, um, it's a really good way of putting it that you know that lived experience is a bonus, not something to be purely ashamed of, yeah. you know. And to kind of try and flip that on his head must be very difficult. But also to hear that, you know, must could be very inspiring for somebody as well, you know. I to think say, getting an understanding of it like that as well, it's very empowering for yourself to sort of look at it then in that way. Oh, sorry, just kids coming into yours. Right now. Okay. Just paused for a sec while she deals with her kids. Sorry about that, one of the neighbor's kids. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Maybe they want to be in a podcast. <laughs> um. So you were just saying it's empowering. Yeah. Do you know, to finally sort of accept, yes, this is my past. Yeah, obviously, I had, there has been barriers. I think the, and the mad thing is, the main barrier was me, was it stopped me from being confident in actually even applying to, for things because of the fear of being judged and being stigmatised. And sitting in a class I'm on a meeting five minutes sorry sorry about this show and absolutely fine you know we, we all have we all have lives and families yeah. so don't give it a second thought I'd say kids have got so many sweets oh. over the last year yeah. just because everyone's just like throwing things at them. Just, <laughs> normally, like, normally like, like, no, no, you're getting a <laughs> And I think kids have copped onto that. They're like, right, they're on the phone. I can ask yeah. for whatever I want now. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> um, sorry. So you were, yeah, you were saying uh, it is empowering when you, when you do realize that or, or can make that kind yeah. of leap. You know, it's just that, like, so when it finally clicks with you, like, that you don't have to be ashamed. Like, I, I often to be asked, do you regret your past? I said, no. And I'd be honest with you, like, my addiction got me through some horrible trauma in me, like, but I don't regret it because 
I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't be the person I am without it. Like considering I'd left school at 14, like seriously boys, can you just go inside? Can you just go inside? I'm on a meeting. Joe, I am so sorry about this. No, you're absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. Well, yeah, as I was saying, I would have left school at 14, mm-hmm. like before the drugs and all. But I don't think I would have come back to school. Do you know, mm-hmm. if I had not got the experiences in my life that I've had had, do you know, because I wouldn't have been around doing courses to try and understand my past and I wouldn't have been, so it wouldn't have led me to where I am now. So yeah. as I honestly don't regret it. Right, go. I'll go with you now. This is just a nightmare. I'm so sorry. No, listen, don't worry about me. I just hope I'm not disrupting your Friday too much. But um, I wouldn't have, and I wouldn't be where I am, like in my education. And if if I hadn't got that path, I wouldn't sort of. I don't think I'd have the courage to push through them barriers that, that was there. I think, you know, but it was like, I've been through a lot of shit in my life and it's like, no, I'm just, I'm doing it. As hard as it was and as much as I had the fear of guard of vetting and all that, these were all things with the support of the college that I was able to overcome. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like the college has been amazing. Some the lecturers in it, do you understand them from them? Like there's that much support within the colleges now, especially like in well in Minute anyway. I'll speak for because I've been there. The support that's there, regardless of what issue you're going in with, is amazing. And doesn't I've never once felt stigmatized or judged within there. So and vanity, I could be taught, and your input is truly valued. So I think that all that helps to sort of break down the barriers and the fear that you have going. And once you push through and go, don't let the, the fear stop you. You know, just push through it and thwart it. That's a really, um, really well put. And I think, you know, that one of the key parts of the project is to try to, uh, you know, change the attitude of, people who maybe just haven't thought about this stuff before or maybe people who've you know developed policies with a different kind of hat on that you know um as you said potential students with uh who happen to have convictions are not um something to be uh dealt with for to be nice about it it's because they bring so much to the university and they enrich the content and you were saying uh the other side of that is that people have to have a kind of understanding of that and to value that input, as you're saying, or, or, or not, or treat you as you would any other student and, and, and support everyone for whatever um, they have going on at that moment in time. Um, and I think that is kind of central to this project and also, you know, already is in practice in um, different universities, certainly Maynooth, I can only speak for uh, my time there. Um, but one of the big issues that you've mentioned, well, two I want to touch on, if that's okay. And that's, you know, that fear and, you know, before Maynooth, we'll say, or before a a course or university or or further education can be supportive, there's that uh, period where you don't, where people don't apply because they 
are too anxious or maybe feel a sense of fear or shame and um that's one of the biggest problems as well because you can't it's hard to support people before you know they want to apply you yeah. know um so that's another thing where the project is trying to do to kind of put as much information out there and you know uh podcasts like this that kind of might speak to a potential student out there who might just you know go for that application now because they've heard someone else uh, has done so well now the other thing i wanted to mention was something you've mentioned a couple of times and that's gar the vetting oh so i mean <laughs> yeah i mean we did one kind of episode which focused on gdpr and the kind of rights to privacy and so on and part of that was about really teasing out what Garda vetting is for and what Garda vetting isn't for and i think you know with that clarity and hope in that podcast you know it might dispel some of the fears but what you mentioned was that even knowing that doesn't wipe away the fear that it can just bring up in the gut of your stomach so can you tell me a little bit about your experience of it Sorry, Joe. What we're saying about the guard event and the fear that it does bring, I don't. It's just, it's that as much as you might have, as I was saying, I was lucky enough to have a lot of support and to have a lot of people that believed in me. But in the back of my head, I knew convictions and all this is going. I, well, I, when I say I knew, I thought convictions and all would be held against me. That I knew going into this play, into this degree that I was going to have to do a placement in a youth service firm so and without doing that placement in the youth service it's it's a required part of the, part of the the course to pass your placement so I think there's not a hope am I going to get placements but I have to say I've had three amazing placements where one was in a youth service which is a swan youth service and not one not once did my guard event have an issue in there the migrants rights center not once did i have an issue in there and saying michael's family resource center as well i don't enforcement in not once has my guard of Benton stopped me from doing any of them placements but it was in my own head i built her up to so much more thinking that once they say because i'm not going to lie i have a long extensive record like a really long record like if you consider i was in addiction from a very young age so there's nearly 20 years of convictions, do you know? So like even the thought of somebody of like receiving that in the post, that copy of my guide event, not receiving the email and printing it out. And I'm in my head, I'm like, oh my God, I can only imagine the, do you know, when you're, when you're hitting the print, do you know when it's printing out and it's taken forever and ever? That thought, I was going through my head for months. They're going to be printing that out for ages. But I remember, like, I was, you know, I had got issues with my guard event, and I was nearly a year waiting on it. And I'd applied for it and work in the meantime. But what the job, when it looked like I was applying for, what the job got back was completely different to what was actually on the college guard event. And I rang the college, and I was in, like, literally in panic mode. And my coordinator says, what are you talking about? She says, your guard event was fine. I'm like, no, no, but this, I'm not going to be able to go on. It says, there's nothing on your guard event 
that is going to stop you from going on placement. Says, and even if there was other little things, you haven't been in trouble in years, we can work with that. But I blew it up in my head to something because I was, I suppose I was looking at how society treats you, you know, the stigma from your addiction, the stigma from being a criminal, the stigma from being a mother in addiction. And I'd made it so much bigger in my own head. But, but like, again, it's just, listen to your gut push through and it's well worth at the end. And as I said, even if you do your whole degree and it takes a while for you to get a bit of work or whatever, which I haven't got a bit of work for my degree. I haven't finished my degree yet. But like that, even with me past, the first job I did put an application in for, I got called for an interview. I didn't get the, get the job to get someone with more experience, but I got great feedback from the interview. So it's if you push through it, it's water. And like that, even the college with that interview helped go through, like go through the job, you know, the job description to help prepare me for their interview. There's so much support within the college. Like for even like when you're coming to the end of your degree and you're going for interviews, there's so much support. The lecturers are great that you any issues you can link in with them. But the guard event stuff, as big as it is in your head, once you push through it, it's actually only a tiny, tiny piece of it. Do you know? But it's pushing yourself through that. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, you, you know, I won't repeat what you've put better than I could, but you know, that there are reasons why it gets built up in people's yeah. heads. Uh, and even if you are kind of have a, a sense that it doesn't, the guards, the guard of vetting just is a document that details yeah. what is on the document and it doesn't have an opinion either way. That yeah. is down to uh, certain specific uh, requirements as you said in terms of what the exact convictions were but also for the vast majority of them it, it, sh it shouldn't uh, and ideally won't affect yeah um, even if you have convictions that there's a bit of violence or anything like unless it's something like severe just go for it like I think when people say that you've put in the work to change your life that you want to do better for yourself and you want to do better you want to be able to fit in walk away you know once people see that you have the passion for passion for something I think that trumps your guard event and every time if people can see that passion that'll trump your guard event and regardless of what's on that when people see that you're you're determined you're passionate about what you want to do and all I think just put again push push through it it's well worth pushing through yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more um and i might ask um a couple of things and you've mentioned it as we've gone through and that's um i suppose the support that is available you know to students um and that comes in the form of maybe just a supportive interaction with the staff or, or teaching staff or admin staff or access staff but also the uh, services so as you said you know you uh, support in interview preparation and yeah. you know so did you kind of how did you come to access all of these supports did you just go looking for them or were you kind of they were they put in front of you you know because well, they're so important um 
the lecturers like like some of my lecturers would have helped me out with the preparing for the interview and all. But it just be if you go on to the Minute website, just the all the different services are there, do you know, whether just classes to help you with learn how to write essays and structure things and all. But also if you have any invisible invisible disabilities, learning disabilities, just so much support in the college for that. Do you know what it's like when it comes to an exam, having access to a laptop rather if you're having issues now where just one of the girls that would have be having issues with writing and she, like that she gets access to use a laptop for the exam. Now she had, she had to go and do it in a separate room, I get that. But it's still them options are there. And for people with dyslexia or anything, which a lot of times are coming from criminality and addiction and so on you have to lose leaving school at a very young age a lot of times and you haven't already you haven't reached your potential as in learning how to read and write properly and I think the and it's, this is an adult they're just words I know but that was actually one, one of my biggest fears as well was hearing people use academic language especially as a first year you know Mm -hmm. But actually, even as a second year, I remember going to migrants' rights and doing replacements, and I'm sitting there and uh, using all these big words, and I'm like, oh God, I'm so out of place. But when you're getting support in the college and all, and you're interested in something, you start to learn the meaning of them words, and you don't have to use them big words just because you're hearing somebody use them. If you can understand what them words are, and you can talk in your own language, but it has the same impact as what using them big words. I find sometimes if you're using the big words and it's not your regular way of talking, it doesn't come across as authentic and genuine. I couldn't That's agree more. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And, and you know, I, I often say and, and definitely should uh, follow my own advice sometimes, but, uh, you know, using your own language is 10 times more effective to communicate what you mean because it yeah. comes across that way than trying to kind of, force yourself to use certain language that maybe isn't isn't uh, you're not as comfortable with so you're dead right um and uh as we come towards the end of uh this chat i was wondering if uh so we've we've talked about some supports we've talked about some challenges but is there anything else that kind of maybe popped up along the way that you either didn't expect to happen or you know maybe a challenge or or barrier you know up to now in your in your time doing uh, your current course COVID <laughs> <laughs> that has been my biggest one <laughs> do you know was that like switching to online and as I said before I'm a very people person and I just can't be online. I, don't get me wrong, I've gotten used to it. But for people like myself who need to be around people and I bounce energy off people, you know, like when I like had that idea of learning, you know, where you're all learning off each other, you know, so I found it very difficult at first. I'm after adapting to it because I've no choice to adapt to it. But and I think that comes from skills of being having criminal criminal issues in your past, having addiction. You have to be a very adaptable and resilient person. So that actually, as much as it's been a challenge, 
I think being that type of person, that resilient type of person has helped me to adapt to, to it. But COVID would have been one of my biggest ones. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really good point. You know, I mean, obviously everyone experiences COVID differently, but you're, you're uh, articulated your particular experience of it. It's really interesting. Um, so the last question then, and I, I, if I was to ask you uh, as a prospective student, you know, uh, I'm thinking about applying or I'm not sure, or, you know, that's not for me. You know, is there anything you'd say to that student if they were to ask you? It's for anyone. Do you know, if it's something you really want to do, Told you, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was saying, yeah, just do it. You like, said it's for, it's for anyone, you said. For yeah. anyone, like, education is for anyone. And that's what I love about it. Uh, as much as I think when you come from an area where you're not encouraged any, and, and all them barriers are in the way, like policies and all things that are set up to help, to help you fail, if anything. You know, just ignore them because education is and should be for anyone. But regardless of what your past is, whether you're still, even if you're still on methadone, still like if you're somebody who uses drugs and is on methadone, if you're able to really participate in class, don't let them things be a barrier to you. Just push through them and apply. Like even if you don't go on and do it, apply anyway. Do you know that? Get the application out of the way. And then you'll start to see that it's not as scary as what it looks from the outside. Do you know, it's that fear of just stepping into the unknown, basically. But well worth stepping into, because I absolutely love college. I like, I love learning. What a perfect way to come towards the end. Um, that does bring us to the end of this episode of the Unlocking Potential podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Paula, for giving us your time and sharing your experiences with our listeners today. It has been profoundly insightful and provides much inspiration to address these various issues. Don't forget to subscribe and look out for the next episode of the Unlocking Potential podcast. Thanks for listening and have a good day. Unlocking Potential is funded through the Public Service Innovation Fund and led by the Maynooth University Access Programme and the Maynooth University Department of Law. With support from MyLab, Maynooth University Innovation Lab and diverse partners across education and criminal justice.